That's what I've already because I mean it's like kind of in the middle of things. Yeah. Something like this every international break. Yeah, there's one next month too, so that's yeah. a good point actually. All right. There we go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the overlap. It's I don't want to call it a week off, but in terms of club football, it's a week off because no one is playing due to the international break. And here we are, Rian and I have, I've already taken the executive decision here to call this podcast, the state of affairs, because maybe, maybe I'll make that a series. It'll just be the state of affairs during the international break or the Christmas break, or just ideas are flowing today. Ideas are flowing <laughs> when you don't have a migraine. Yeah. Um, I was gonna is, say, it's, your head's so free now. It's, it's <laughs> all the ideas. Yesterday. Yeah. They're just flowing now. Um, so I'm in a great place. Um, and I went into my new office today for the first time, which I didn't even mention to you before we started recording. Um, that place is so nice. It is so <laughs> unbelievably nice. Like I, it's, it's so many buildings. I just, it, it's, it's beautiful. I will be spending more time oh, nice. than necessary there, honestly. So, um, you say that now. I know, I know. I'm going <laughs> to, I just jinx it, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> It's nine o'clock on a Saturday and just, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't need that. But for the time being, we're here. We're excited to talk football and not work. Um, Rian, I'm going to need at this point a weekly cat update on how they're both doing. Do, are any of them by you for those that are actually watching via video right now? Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can see right here. Hey, Hello. buddy. Oh, oh, he's so cute. All right. Well, as... Yeah, Our listeners I, probably know. <laughs> you yeah. did get to you, if you see me like rest, like kind of wrestling and looking down, well, it's me trying to keep him from jumping on the <laughs> keyboard and making a bunch of noise. Well, listen, I'm always, always willing to give people uh, a shot at a guest appearance and share their opinion. That's what we're about here, um, <laughs> even if that individual is in fact non-human. But I digress. How you doing? I know we're talking a lot about just things going on in Europe, of which there are a lot of things going on. But let's start there, and then we'll jump into the football stuff. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Again, like I said, just uh, partially taking care of these little guys. Um, it's been really, really enjoyable. Um, oh my gosh, he's yeah, he's just trying to attack this computer um but no no i'm having i'm having a lot of fun taking care of these cats that's like that is the biggest life development for me in the last two weeks realistically yeah that's a that's a pretty big life development getting not one but two pets is a big is a big lifestyle change so i'm excited to see them for the first time i will be seeing them this weekend but um rian has not let me see them up until this point so i'll just throw that out there as <laughs> something I am extremely bitter about. But um, yes, I will be seeing them this weekend. I'm very excited to hold both of them. If they will, of course, allow me. So. Oh yeah, they, they will. They will. One yeah. of them, one of them um, a lot more receptive to being held. Um, <laughs> the other one, he, it's like, you got to catch him like when he's comfortable, when he's pretty comfortable. He his moments. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he, yeah. He'll let, at this point, he'll let me and my girlfriend pick him up. A, a bunch but he just will get restless a lot quicker yeah 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 i don't doubt that oh we're gonna have to as, as a whole i say that as he's literally just just does not staying down rihanna's uh, a father that's basically the title of this podcast even though i've already 
mention the actual title, but <laughs> Rian, I'm glad the cats are good. Um, I will be pampering them as the fun uncle. Um, <laughs> but as we move into the football stuff, basically this podcast, we're going to talk about a couple of common themes that we're seeing across the top teams in England, a couple of the top players in Spain, as well as cover and touch on the fiasco that is the Spanish Federation, Luis Rubiales. I'm not going to give any spoilers. He no longer has a job, but we'll get to all of that and all the details. Rian, I want to start in England. Um, while we're on an international break, let's talk about two teams that I think up until this point, probably, and this point is small in terms of sample size and data, um, but over the last, what, four match days, it's probably safe to say that the two top teams outside of Manchester City and England are Arsenal and maybe Liverpool as well. So I want to talk to you a little bit about these two teams, and then we can move on and talk about some other teams as well. But between Gabriel Jesus coming back at seemingly the right time, and honestly, I don't know what happened at the end of that United-Arsenal game, but <laughs> for 75 minutes, Arsenal were the better team. And Liverpool have kind of showed against, what well, I think it was Chelsea, Newcastle, um, say Aston Villa and someone else I'm forgetting mm-hmm. um, across all four of those games, Liverpool haven't looked as vulnerable in defense as I thought they would be at this point. They've certainly, they've certainly had their moments, but I think their offensive output has certainly compensated for that. So let's talk about it. I'm not going to necessarily ask you which of these two teams has a better chance to challenge city, but tell me a little bit more about why you feel like these two might be the best two teams outside of that. I think uh, I think it's more like a talent kind of point of view. Um, we've got obviously City by a mile is is the best team in the league, right? For from talent point of view, and then I think if we just start with Arsenal, like they were the second best team last last season, right? And we talked about it in the summer, like they did get better, like from a talent and from a depth point of view, for the most part. Um, oh, I am literally being attacked by two by two kids. Right now. <laughs> We're never gonna make it through this. Um, but no, I think that Arsenal's Arsenal. Their argument is that again, they got better in the in the off season by the player that they've added in, and then you expect guys like Saka and Odegaard to continue, you know, improving, right? And that's what I think from the first few games this season that. We haven't seen them drop off in terms of their quality from from the last from last season. Uh, so I think that one's pretty easy for me that they that they are probably this arguably second best team with Liverpool. Um, and I think that the argument for Liverpool again before we go into like any of the data, like they might have the best collection of attackers in the league. Like, and I'm not mm-hmm. even sure it's like, <laughs> I, I think, I think comfortably they have the best collection of attackers in the league. Are um, you, are you including city in that? Yes. I'm including city in that. I think, I think the, the asterisk obviously just has to, or the, the, the fine print has to emphasize collection because I, I see where you're going with this. Um, yeah, man, you have cats flying all, all over. The yeah. He just flipped. <laughs> <laughs> It's tough uh, being a dad. Have you considered yeah, paternity uh, leave? 
Now, <laughs> I think his pride got a little broken by that. He walked away. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think you kind of hit it. Like the collection is, is really going to do a lot of the work in that statement because we all know, oh my goodness, we all know that we all know that City has the best striker in the world, right? Like they have the best goal scorer in the world. Like the, a guy who's going to probably go down as one of the, the best strikers of his generation, probably the best of his generation, right? But Liverpool, every game, when you watch, when you watch them in the second half and who they sub on, like that is just ridiculous, right? Like, you know, against Newcastle, they subbed on Darwin Nunez, and he probably had like eight or nine touches, and two, like four of them were shots, and two of them were goals. Um, then even on like a on like a lower level, oh, they can bring on Diego Jota, right? They can bring on uh, Harvey Elliott. They can, you know, if Luis Diaz is not starting the game, they can bring him on as a sub in games, right? Like. It's just a collection. That That is what I think is the reason for putting Liverpool up there um, because they are just going to overwhelm you with attacking talent. Like they have those set of attackers and then you add on Trent Alexander-Arnold being just a, like kind of a generational passer from, from like his position and, and honestly a better passer than a lot of midfielders in Europe. So um, yeah, that in, I think Schobeslai has, has been a really good addition for them too. Um, and, you he know, scored you saw, a wonderful uh, free kick as well. Um, yeah, and, and, and during the internet. For Hungary, right? Yeah. But you can see against, uh, I think it was against Newcastle or no, not Newcastle, Aston Villa, uh, where he scored his first goal. You can go back to his Leipzig <laughs> tapes too. He the, he's an unbelievable striker of the ball. Like so, so they can just get goals out of nothing. It is why I think they're just never gonna be. It's gonna be really hard to have beat beat them and like keep them out of games, right? So yeah, <clears throat> just on, on feel, that. How do you kind of feel about about the two of them? So I think in terms of Arsenal Liverpool, right? I agree with you on the talent side. Both teams are very talented. I agree with you in terms of offensive output for Liverpool. I also agree with you in terms of pretty significant offensive output in terms of Arsenal, right? You think about who they subbed on as well, right? In the United game, Gabriel Jesus, he came on, scored, right? That's pretty significant. Having that talent is, as I've said, for how many years now? Four plus years? That That is the biggest marker of a successful team, at least if all other variables did not really matter which is a funky world that doesn't exist the point that i'm trying to make though is i think the slight difference between liverpool and arsenal here is on kind of the defensive side it's interesting because we both probably view arsenal and liverpool having the same weakness which is their center backs right and well maybe mm. not their center backs but i would say they're I, I, let, let me let me rephrase that let me rephrase that <laughs> liverpool's liverpool have had worse defensive issues over the last year and a half or so arsenal less so um in fact they i think had a relatively strong uh defensive structure especially the first half of last season but i worry about arsenal in terms of depth still in terms of defensive depth and i just worry about liverpool in terms of cohesion and cohesiveness across that back line and for different reasons both of those still sort of concern me going into the rest of the season 
I'm not here to say that Arsenal and Liverpool are not contenders and will not push City, but this might be a situation where I think, for example, Liverpool are probably in more of a position where they just have to score more goals than their opponents sometimes. And that sort of worked for them about four years ago. If you think about their um, their run up to City and then their title winning season, that strategy did actually work. Uh, I'm not advocating for it, but that would just be my my biggest concern with both those teams. Yeah, I I think from Arsenal's point of view, it's still I agree with you. I think it's still just like the depth. Let, let's see how yeah. these injuries or the um how their fitness kind of like progresses throughout the rest of the season especially playing um especially when you expect them to to take their european competition more seriously this season than last season at, at least the group stages of it um so that'll obviously be taxing for them midweek uh i think on the liverpool side they have refreshed the midfield there's a lot more energy in it right i mean and, and i think more quality than than last season but I guess the big question mark is just is Endo, who they brought in at the end of the transfer window, who is now the, their only ball-winning type of midfielder, right? And I know that I know that that the way that Liverpool's defensive structure works is really a lot about the team pressing as a whole and and not relying on just one player, right? Um, but I, I do wonder how that how that progresses throughout the season with just one player like that. And we still don't quite know. It's still going to take him time to adapt to the league. Right. And, and we are still like not hundred percent sure that he's, he's probably not the guy long-term and, and this feels a lot like a bit more of a stopgap kind of situation. So I think, like you said, they're going to lean heavily on their attack. Like, like I, think they're less balanced than Arsenal, but I, but I think that they have more, they have more up front. And then I also think they have the best goalkeeper in the world. So like at the two extremes, they're <laughs> arguably the best in the league, like a best yeah. goalkeeper and probably the best unit of attackers. Um, and then, you know, obviously their midfielders are, are, are quite adept at, at playing the ball forward and being good, like uh, progressive players themselves. And then, yeah, you, you know, you got the question marks with their, with, I think, with their center backs as well. And, um, you know, their center backs outside of Konate, basically. They're, you know, we have question marks on all of them. Yeah. Um, interesting on the, the goalkeeper part. I, I have differing opinion. But um, oh, really? on what you were saying, yeah, I mean, Thibaut Courtois pre-ACL, I would say, um, would Probably not. Yeah. More. But hey, look, I, yeah. I, I don't want to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that's that's a separate conversation. Yeah, I'll give. I'll spend... give. I I I I think <laughs> I think that Allison is as good a shot stopper as as Courtois, and obviously like a much better um passer. And then hmm. I think for like I think for Liverpool, he's perfect. But uh, I guess I'll, I guess, I guess I maybe 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 that's more of it. It's like he looks even better because he's so good at sweeping and Liverpool play high line and and you see him get more action, right? Whereas that is true. Courtois like, different types of yeah, keeper. Yeah. Yeah. Um no, I I very much remember all the shots he stopped during the 5-2. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was very <laughs> I don't know why I'm defending Real Madrid. I think I've hit a new low, no. but just on the endo piece with with Liverpool, um 
first off, let me just say he played very well against Germany during the international break. I don't know if you got a chance to to watch parts of that game, but like he he very much is, I think, going to be a stopgap for for Liverpool. I don't know if he fully suits Liverpool. You mentioned kind of the pressing aspect as well to to being a defensive midfielder. I I really don't know um, if that's. I just, I, for the way that Liverpool play and the, and how consistent you need to be between a defensive transition. And I would say like what Fabinho did was relatively defensive minded Mm -hmm. in terms of his, his style. I don't see Endo being that same profile. I think he's much more attack oriented. I think he's better, maybe not better, but he is more cognizant of distributing the ball. And I think that's kind of why we saw McAllister when he did play there for about two or three games already this season. Um, he kind of struggled with interceptions and giveaways a lot in that position because I, I just don't that's, think that there is a natural yeah. number, uh, I guess, a defensive midfielder for, for Liverpool right now. So yes, they will rely on their attacking output significantly more. Yeah. TLDR. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I think just like ultimately their season, it does feel like their season is going to come down to whether like Endo is going to be close to as good as Fabinho like in, in that role. And that feels like Basically. a bit of, that feels like a, a, a big gamble. You know, I mean, it's, you know, it's a question mark. It's a, it feels like a pretty big if. Um, yeah. Anyway, shall we move on to the next next group? Yes. So next group would be the team that I, or the group that I called to Real before we started recording um, was the European non-European teams, which effectively are teams that will be playing in Europe this season after not playing in Europe last season. So that's Newcastle, Aston Villa, and Brighton. Let's talk a little bit about them. Brighton were top of the league, I believe, before City played uh, last weekend, played their match last weekend. I don't know where Brighton sit now because I haven't checked the league standings in like a week because of the international break. Um, where are they now? Do you know? I want to say there's... Oh, they're in six. Yeah. Yeah, they're six with nine points. Um, but point being, what do you make of these teams that are now going to be playing at least six, seven, eight, maybe extra games in Europe this year? Which are which are games that are pretty significant, um, especially in Brighton's case. But what do you make of their potential success, and do you think that will have a significant impact on their their league performance? Yeah, I, I, you know, like I said, I really want to reserve judgment on them from the first few games of this season because it's going to be such a different challenge from here on out. Um, you know, I think Villa and Brighton have both started bright like well like they each brighten of yeah bright. yeah i as i caught nice. myself as i was saying you heard me <laughs> starting to say it um but i think that each of them should feel good about the start to the season at the same time each of them had a result or or a game where they looked very they both had a big hiccup game obviously villa lost 5-1 on the first day and then Brighton uh, losing 3-0 to West Ham right, the, a week before they got their win against Newcastle. Um, Newcastle, out of these three, between Villa, Newcastle, and Brighton, 
have had the most troubling start to the season. But I think something that we – part of the reason I want to reserve judgment for them as well. Part of the reason we want to kind of really think about who these teams are playing in the first few games of the season is when you look at Newcastle, they, they've created fewer XG so far um, than Everton. And that puts their 11th in terms of XG created. But, you know, they've created fewer than Everton, which obviously doesn't look good. But then you look at who they've played so far. And I don't know if anyone's had a more difficult start to their season uh, than Newcastle. Because they've played Aston Villa, Liverpool, Manchester City, and Brighton. So I I think that we're going to have to really consider, like, these stretches of games that some of these teams are playing when we get either, you know, in a way to, like, not try to get too high or low on any of them. First four games of the season, and that's <laughs> and you're playing four teams that are playing in Europe this season, and and we're, yeah. like, some of the best teams last last year. Um, I, I, I think, like, there, you know, I, I, there are reasons, that I think, to be a bit – to be nervous about Newcastle, but I think – Let's give them another few. Let's give them like maybe until the next international break. See how they deal with playing midweek um, before yeah. we make any huge judgments on them. Uh, and then I think on you know Aston Villa, same thing. I want to reserve some judgment on them. You know they'll they'll be playing Thursday and Sundays, so you know that that'll take its toll in its own way. And uh, same thing for Brighton. They'll also be Thursday to Sunday. They're again, you know. Let's reserve judgment for the most part. Um, West Ham was a very difficult game for them. They they also, like, they shot out of the block with those first two games. I think they played Luton and Wolves. They, I think, they scored, like, eight goals or eight or nine goals those first two weeks. And, yeah. and you know, like, wow, these guys are amazing. And then they played West Ham, who are just far more talented. Oh, uh, Maybe not far more talented than Wolves, but like better a better team than Wolves, and and obviously far more talented than Luton, um, and and then of course they got their win against Newcastle, but again slight slight concern for Brighton going forward, and this is something that we started to see at the end of last season is you know amazing attacking like they're they're atta- they create chances like out the wazoo right, but. There's a bit a bit of a, a concern, I think, on the defensive side. Like they've conceded the fourth most XG so far in these first four games. And, you know, like I, I as I just said, like their schedule wasn't extremely tough so like to start the season. So that's something to keep an eye on, I think. It is. And I'll say like their most impressive game of the year, the year, the, the four games <laughs> hasn't been that long at all. Um the brain's most impressive game was clearly against Newcastle, at least in my opinion. I, I don't think it was close. And in that game, I think what they did so spe- spectacularly well is the isolation of effectively each midfield player and their connection to um, Isak. And they did that by playing a, like a higher line that even I kind of expected them to play. And whenever they lost the ball, Matoma or hopefully we'll see Ansu Fati, but that's biased. But like basically their wingers were tracking back immediately. And I feel like one of the things on the defensive side I had I have not seen in their other games was that exact aspect, was their tracking back down the wing, even though it's kind of what Brighton should be doing really well. That's what they did really well last 
you're amongst right a, a million other things like you mentioned um but i i, I don't want to criticize brighton defensively just for the sake of saying I, I think it's for me i think it's easy to say that they are not as talented like we were talking about in terms of their defensive players which is true but i think what they do on the offensive side certainly more than makes up for that and then on top of that i think that there are structural tweaks that can be made to adjust how quickly the ball gets to an opposing attacker because like we're talking about a team that only let up one goal against early early against manchester city right it's not like newcastle have been blown out of the water every game right and or sorry um oh my god i'm confusing newcastle right now holy crap oh my headache's coming back (laughs) I I literally switched teams. Ignore the last part. Um, <laughs> but the point that I'm making about Brighton, I think, still still stands. Um, I, I wouldn't overly be concerned about their their actually or their actually differential. We'll call it. Yeah, and again, you know, four four games, and you know they've got lots of time. Like, uh, probably another one. We'll see if it you yeah. know if it's still in this position by the next international break. Then we have like real reasons to be concerned. That's that's <laughs> much different because at that point you're probably losing more games than you'd like because there's, uh, unless there's some wacky statistic around their XG differential and their XG against versus the games that they are winning. Like I would, I would, but I don't think that's going to be the case. So yeah. (laughs) Well, do you want to talk about United? Like, do we have to? Uh, Yeah. On the field, you know, I put in our notes, I'm, I'm going to reserve judgment for them because you look at the last couple of games they've played, it's essentially the exact same starting line, or, you know, exact same players that were on the team last season. Um, and then, and, and then not out of Onana. choice, by the way. Yeah, not, yeah, exactly. You know, due to injuries, you have Mount injured. Um, I mean, Varane was on the team last season, but he's pro- like the, probably their best defender, or in the least, he's in their best defense center back pairing, and he's out for a while, right? Um, and so I, I think they're just in a, it's hard to judge them much on the field right now. What is very easy to judge them is uh, off the field, and 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 they've been uh, just a mess off the field for years, right? But obviously, in this last like twelve months, you can really see how much like just a terrible like structure at the top or whatever you whatever you want to call it. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's like lack of leadership or lack of. I mean, we know their owners just don't care whether they, like how whether they do well in the league or not. Their owners genuinely don't care. It's a cash cow for them. But um, you kind of see a bit of the effects with that, right? Where <laughs> I mean, so much of the power being given to obviously the coach and a handful of people or less um, at like an executive level. And it kind of leads you to these situations where you're almost bringing back Mason Greenwood after everyone knows what happened. Everyone knows the whole story with him and and his, um, you know, sexual assault allegations and and not even just allegations. Like we have, unfortunately, we have seen the pictures and heard the audio tape right and now you have the same thing a similar situation with Anthony right and and I mean this one they 
they probably wouldn't have done anything if Brazil didn't do something, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, if we're being totally yeah. honest, like, like most likely they would not have done anything. Um, and then you throw in on, on top of that, obviously, uh, you know, not quite as serious, but still, still very disappointing, I think, for, for anyone who's like a fan of the player and Jane Sancho, um, where it seems unlikely that he'll even finish the season with Manchester United. Right. Um, and uh, you know, obviously it's not all on the club. I'm sure like you, this doesn't happen without something going wrong on the player side of, of course too. Right. But um, just some of like the way that they've handled it, like PR wise and the stuff that keeps coming, that comes out about him and, him having being I feel like one of the one of the, like the quotes I think was I can't remember which news source it was but like something about like him being a very complicated person or a complex person it was like yes that is a human being that, that's correct humans, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know and, and that using try like that almost being trying to be used as a reason why he's having not you know having trouble making it onto the match day squads like so um Again, like on the field, it's hard to to judge them very much right now because of, like I said, um, all the things that we mentioned with the injuries and whatnot. Off the field, it's it, it's just bad vibes all over the place, of course, right? And, and bad <laughs> That's vibes. The best feels, way to put it. It feels like a very trivial way of, of talking. Yeah, you know, obviously, very serious things going on with Anthony and and um, and Greenwood, but it, it's seems very I, I would understand uh, a Manchester United fan being pretty apathetic about, about like the the team the club even right now um but again it's not it's not anything that you know United fans have not been telling us for years they're fucking they're rotten from the top like the club is rotten from the top, yeah so no we have known that and I think the fact that they were looking for a 10 billion dollar evaluation oh is hysterical <laughs> um but Look, you've said everything I would have said. I'm not even going to say a single thing about United other than let's let's just take a look at... I want to take a look at their, their upcoming fixture headed into the rest of September. Are you ready for this? Mm. Their first two games back, Brighton, Bayern. <laughs> yeah. Have fun with that. Oh, man. That's going to be yeah. delightful. Um, yeah. They do play Burnley, Crystal Palace uh, after that, but man, Crystal Palace yeah. have been been pretty good this start this season. Crystal Palace are always the team every two years that give United real fits, so <laughs> we're due. Um, but Brighton and then Bayern is just yeah top. So I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so, anywho, um, yeah, let's move away from United. Like I said, I don't have much to, to offer on them other than what you've already said. You've said it perfectly. Let's talk about two other teams in kind of the big six category that are actually not playing in Europe this season. I, I'm i sorry. I would never wish that pain on anyone. <laughs> and my team was stuck in the Europa League for two years. Um, let's talk about Spurs for a second. Um, are Spurs good, question mark? They're certainly, they're certainly an exciting side to watch, right? They're, they've gotten 10 points. They are scoring a significant number of goals and creating a lot of shot creating or putting up a lot of shot creating actions uh, as well as you, you like to call out very, very often. Um, 
But I think the one thing that I'll just comment on Spurs is their build-up play. I feel like Spurs have added an element of creativity to their game. Not usually, but historically. Harry Kane and Hungman Son have been basically the pillars of counterattacking and transition football for Spurs. That doesn't feel like the only way that they're able to go forward anymore. I want to ask you one question that I would love to hear your thoughts on Spurs. Do you think Harry Kane leaving Spurs was a potential positive for the way that they play? I think Antonio Conte leaving Spurs was a big positive for the way they play. <laughs> One dependent variable. You, you, they, no, but you, you were saying like they've been heavily relied on Kane and saw it in a counter-attacking way. Right, that wasn't the case when Mauricio Pochettino was there. No, <laughs> that no, really no. only happened when Jose Mourinho came in, and then it continued under Antonio Conte. So I, 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 uh, <laughs> I, I think you got to give a bit more credit to what Ange Postecoglou has done in terms of just, you know, easier said than done, but just yeah freeing the team up a bit uh, in in terms of like how they attack um i think that kane would have i think kane would have still done very well in this in this team i think they would they would be a better team with him like, i i'm not sure I, you know who knows maybe Hungman, maybe son who played basically at the 9 in that in their win against burnley like kind of false 9ish but that was the first game that p- Pasacoglu was just like, I'm not running this for Charleston shit anymore. He <laughs> <laughs> was just, and, you know, you ask Donovan, would they rather have Harry Kane or Richarlison starting okay. the first few yeah, games? Yeah, that's... Right? Like, uh, not, to, not to pile on him, because I know he's been having a hard time, and we saw him with Brazil. He was crying on the bench. He's obviously taking a lot of this really tough um, and getting in his own head about it all. But uh, I think, like, the ultimate thing is that the way that Spurs play make them more of an attacking threat or just more entertaining, right? Like looking at compared to last season, their XG per game is up. Their um, shots per game are up. They are fourth in the league in terms of build up attacks. Uh, They're fifth in terms of 10 plus pass sequences. Right. And then at the same time, you know, in terms of, Passes per defensive action. They're third in the league this season, 14th last season. So it, it's a lot more about like how they've changed. Just the way that they play has changed, right? And it's just more conducive to scoring goals, honestly, or creating chances. You know, a, a big part of this too is like James Madison being brought in, and he's probably like they haven't really had a player like him since Christian Eriksen, probably. Um, and that's obviously a huge lift to them because he's a guy who a bit of like a, a volume player. Like he, he kind of needs a lot of touches or, or, you know, he thrives when he has a lot more touches. Right. And he builds his confidence in that way. And then you can also, he's great taking set pieces. He's a great shot um, ball striker. He's he, he, he is someone who can pick up some of the, some of the load that's left from Harry Kane not being on this on the team anymore, right? Instead of Harry Kane having to drop 
back to like his center backs like like he did in, in, with England in their, in their um their game against Ukraine like instead of Harry Kane having to drop all the way back there it's James Madison and that at least allows like the attackers to stay up and you're not losing an attacker from from doing that right um again what comes with this very entertaining <laughs> way of playing is that they're also a bit more open at the back um they're eighth in terms of expected goals allowed and overall, they're actually ninth in, in terms of expected goal difference. So, um, I, like I said, I think they're going to be a lot. They're a lot more fun to watch this season. I don't know if they're particularly like well balanced, but I think that a lot of Spurs supporters are going to take entertainment over what the hell, whatever the hell they've watched in the last three years. Um, so, I, I think it's kind of all gravy, more or less, and. Um, They've had like a, a pretty mixed schedule so far, right? Um, Brentford and Manchester United in their first couple games, and Brentford's been really good this this year. I'll touch on them very briefly later, but um, then they played Bournemouth and Burnley, and they won those games pretty handedly. And they outplayed Manchester United. They, they beat United, uh, or they outplayed United in like the second half. That, that game, as we remember, kind of could have gone either way, depending on. Bruno missed header from yeah. five yards away. Um, well, what I just just really quickly on that point because I was going to actually bring up their previous games. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that they are conceding a number of chances and a number of, um, I guess, expected goals. I think it's important to caveat that with they do also have two clean sheets out of four games, right? And that, I don't think that includes their cup game, which they went out of somehow, but. Uh, Regardless of that, just in the league, two out of four clean sheets is that that's extremely strong. Regardless of kind of how you you put it, yeah. But there is that, that, there is a regression to the yeah, league. yeah, yeah. Because again, they had a clean sheet against United. That's my point. Yeah. Well, we'll see how we'll see how that kind of keep progress progressing um, as we get to the next international break, right? Yeah. No. Very true. Well. Rian, let's talk about your team. We do have to talk about them. I apologize. Um, are you bound for relegation? No, I'm kidding. Um, it's, <laughs> Come on. It's, no, no, I know. It, it's, you know what's interesting is Chelsea, now they're on four points, right? They, you guys have conceded, outside of the Luton Town game, you guys have conceded so many chances and opportunities to, like, opposing teams. Like, it's, it's kind of insane. Like, just that's based on the eye test. But the one thing I'll say is I do also think you guys are suffering from the United problem, which is injuries, but also a just significantly less talented squad, unfortunately. And you're seeing the result of that because I would argue that both these teams have very strong managers, but their squads are extremely different. So I just want to hear your take on on Chelsea and... I know we've been comparing previous opponents right over the last four weeks. Um, do you think that has a, a component of this or that has a component of this at all? Because they drew Liverpool. So help me help you. <laughs> well, I'm going to push back on the defensive side of it because you know, they have act- – Wait, what's a, what defensive side? Uh, on, on the – you said the competed chances, the amount of chances they've conceded. Oh, yes. Um, I, I'm going to push back on that because – they actually have been one of the three. I, I gotta look at this up again, but they're, I believe, third in terms of uh, expected goals allowed. 
and so it's really yeah like like it's i i will hold that it's been pretty unlucky to start the season here for chelsea i like it's simple the simplest way to put it is that you know they then they haven't finished their chances which copy and paste for the last like two to three years like you you will probably find me saying this at one point or another um every time in the last couple seasons right like they've like you said four points right but funny enough like in terms of expected points they are third in the league like they they they, their expected points would have them around like eight points um which is obviously dependent on like their expected goal difference in those particular games right and and it's just the ultimate thing again just not finishing chances you know um do you have any comments on nicholas jackson's miss oh uh, the one against forest uh it was a, it was yeah. a tough one yeah that, that's a bad but that's an example of what you're talking about yeah right? like that's a very good example you know you, you have that and then i, I look back at even the West Ham game, they end up losing that one three one, right? But completely dominated the first half. <laughs> so West Ham, you know, conceded in like the first five minutes on a set piece, score like again, like I said, uh, controlled the rest of the half, scored, and then Enzo Fernandez has a chance to put the team up two one going into halftime. Shot saved. West Ham scores in the first like ten minutes of the next of the second half, and that game just gets away from them. And I think you kind of hit on a little bit like with the difference between Chelsea and Spurs in terms of like the squad makeup, right? Like, I I kind of jokingly said on Twitter a few days ago when they lost to to Forest that it was another tough day at the office for Borussia Chelsea. But it's like they they are just. Like, I, I did see that. Like, you know, you look at the the age of the players, of this team. Like it's it, it, this it's a the project is a bit like Borussia Dortmund on steroids. Like, mm-hmm. like Dortmund will take a couple years to like get these to stockpile these talents. Chelsea did it all in like twelve months, <laughs> and, and, just, and just said, "Yeah, you know." They they looked at they looked at a U twenty three, U twenty two, U twenty three player who's got a great who's got who's got like a great potential at find it, and then said, "I got another one in me," <laughs> and just keep just like stop stockpiling them. Um, you know, all that to say. In the going back to the West Ham game, they they go down and then because of they are the age they are and and it's not even just the age, but a lot of these guys have only played like one or two seasons of senior football. <laughs> like the experience level is not quite there, so they're go- they're going to be a lot more susceptible to their heads kind of going and like losing the composure, you know, when when they go down and stuff and. And that is just gonna be the case for this season, right? Um, I, I let's like I said, I, I think that the underlying numbers are good for them, and they have they have played well enough to get better results than than they've gotten so far. But that kind of composure and, like I said, for lack of a better term, just experience to to play their way out of tough moments in these games is something that's just not going to be consistent for them throughout the season. Um, but no, I think there's good signs, like I said, but 
it's it's gonna be that type of season for them. It's gonna be frustrating a lot. And and, and I and I'm like resigned yeah. to that. The team is a thousand percent better than it was last yeah. season, but the consistency the consistency will, will be a question mark for the rest of the season because of the player's age and their experience levels. Super fair. I, look, the, the one thing on the defensive side, I'll just respond really quickly is I, while it may not be a large number of chances that they're giving away, they are high quality chances. And I think those high quality chances come from inexperienced mistakes and giveaways in the midfield. Like that has been, undoubtedly the majority of where chances and goals have, have come from uh, against yeah. Chelsea, I should, should clarify. Yeah. That fourth game is a good example of it, right? That's the fourth game is a perfect example. Yeah, absolutely. And the even in the West Ham game. Up, yeah, yeah, West Ham game as well. You know, the, the only good chances yeah. they give up is, is screwing around in the midfield. Yeah. yeah, so it's not it's not necessarily a high number of those. It's, it's a fair point, um, but it has left – God – Tiago Silva, I don't think, played against Forrest. Right? He, he did. He think. did. He did? Yeah. He did? Okay. So it has left Tiago Silva and Chalaba, like, on a... Oh, Chalaba hasn't, like, hasn't, played, hasn't played yet. Oh, my God. Who are you? <laughs> like, genuinely. It's been, uh, I, it's, I, it's been Silva, Colwell, and uh, DeSassi so far. Colwell, yeah, thank yeah. you. Yes, yes. It has left them on an island. That's my point. <laughs> God, you guys are rotating. You are right. They all did this in 12 months, yeah, and I don't even correct. remember who's who. Who <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, at Brighton last season. That's very fair. <laughs> like, Brother. Nazi oh, was God. signed this summer. <laughs> and then all the rest of the center backs are injured right now. <laughs> <laughs> if you ask me to name Chelsea's starting midfield in their last game, I would not know. No. Yeah, like, I, I would throw... Chillwell in there as a left side midfielder because I'm lost. Yeah, he, I mean, he literally was playing. He's been playing as a left, no. left wing more or less. Um, and I've oh, yeah. literally he's been playing left wing the last couple games. <sighs> yeah. So, anywho, um, let's move on, Rian, to pass your team. I know you want to give a couple couple shout outs and talk about you know one of their top before we get to to Spanish football. Yeah, um, a quick shout out to Brentford, who you know, they might only have seven points right now, but second in the league in expected goal difference, fourth in expected points. Like they've they've performed beautifully without Ivan Tony, and, and honestly, they they did really well without him last season too, right? Yeah, like, we, yep. like they've shown that they can be a, a really good team without him, um, and it, it makes me curious. You know, going into this season, I was my thought was kind of like. With them and, and Ivan Tony, that situation was get to January, and if they're pretty safe and not in a relegation battle, um, then they will have a lot of leverage. They'll have they'll have a lot of leverage with um selling him. Like if they want, they could get a huge fee for him because they don't necessarily need him. And you know, I, I can think of one team in blue that plays in London. <laughs> I would probably do something stupid. They'll pay a stupid price for him. Um, Crystal but, Palace, yeah. <laughs> but but you know he'll he'll it, it'll be interesting. Like if if they are safe, like yeah, if they are comfortably safe from relegation, which I expect they will be in in January, then um, 
I could see him go see them selling him and and getting a very nice fee for him at that time. But um, they've done really well. Yeah, Mboyemo has been great. Wissa Wissa has been great. Mboyemo has been you know great for you know all of these seasons so far since they've been in the Premier League. So really, really just hats off to Thomas Frank again in that yeah and Brentford. Yeah, I, I has David Raya been starting for for Brentford? I truly have not kept up with them. Uh, as much this season, but that would I think be the only caveat for for them as I have heard. If he's played, I think I've heard some some not so great things. For, sorry, who this season? David Raya. Oh, he has. I mean, he's on Arsenal. Oh my god, he's on Arsenal now. Oh, oh my god, goodness, man. oh buddy, you are, dude. <laughs> my, what is going on with me today? What is going? I swear, I was reading an article about him. Maybe this was like. A couple of months ago at this point. <laughs> it's all right. Let's move right. on. I am I am not well today. What is the last topic you wanted to talk about? That really shook me between that and um something else now. Oh uh, Chalaba, yeah. Chalaba, yeah. That I'll give myself some stuff. Yeah, yeah. But like yeah, that's, that's... Damn, I forgot he went to Oh my god. Okay. I'm actually like all right, just go ahead. I know you have one last point. Uh, last last thing on the Premier League before we get um, pop off to Spain is just the depth in the Premier League last se- last season. I talked about it a lot. How it was the deepest it's ever been with all the talent from top to bottom. You know, we had like nine different teams that were fighting for relegation with like a month left in the season, <laughs> and and you know you end up seeing a team like Leicester go down last season and and uh, you know even leads to a lesser extent um surprises that they go down this season i think the depth of the league is worse um we talked about it at the beginning of or right before the season started where we said about four of the five worst teams in terms of expected goal difference last season stayed up um and you keep like that you know level of of uh performing teams in the league and then you add in three teams that are championship quality <laughs> into the league um it, it's gonna dilute it or dilute is not actually is i don't know if dilutes the right word but the bottom half of the league is by far worse than it was last season so far again right but um just to, to give a little like stats towards it We've got five teams with an expected goal difference per game of negative 0.9 or worse. Last season, the worst teams in the league averaged around negative 0.6 to 0.7, right? So you're talking about, again, small sample size, very small sample size. But those five teams that I mentioned, three of them are the teams that got promoted this season, in terms of Luton, Sheffield, and Burnley. And the other two were teams that were in, like, the bottom seven of expected goal difference last season in Bournemouth and Fulham. So it's not necessarily uh, out of nowhere, right? These are are teams that are continuing, you know, outside of the relegation teams, right? But you are not relegation, the promoted teams, which you expect to be a level below everyone. But... The other two teams are also not teams that performed well um, in terms of their underlying metrics last season. Yeah, I think the the big, not caveat, but I think the big point that's probably 
showcasing how that data plays out is truly just the the teams that were relegated um and so or sorry that were promoted from from the championship and that is just very much coming out in terms of talent as we've talked about being the the number one marker across teams and it's it's a little subjective to measure that of course but it's no surprise that teams with the (laughs) the goal differential of 0.9 or worse are almost all were either in the, well, they were either in the relegation battle or they were just recently promoted. Yeah. That's not, I'm not even remotely <laughs> surprised by that. So anyway, well, Rian, I made it through a bizarre end to this podcast. I'm still like confused as to where my brain is at, but let's just take a quick break so I can reconvene and then we can talk about Spain. <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. I have taken care of my mentals because I was thinking players were playing and people were on different teams. I don't know. I honestly don't know what happened. Um, <laughs> but anyway, Rian, I want to talk a little bit about Spain. Uh, I want to talk about what's been going on with the Spanish Federation, as we all know, um, with Luis Rubiales and his non-consensual kiss on Jenny Hermoso um, very publicly. I just want to talk about the context of that, where we are now, and then some some interesting things coming out of Spain uh, beyond that. I just wanna I just wanna start with the current update. I believe this happened on Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoon, our time. Piers Morgan tweeted out a video, uh, and it was effect- effectively a clip of him doing an interview with Luis Rubiales, where Rubiales himself confirmed he would be stepping down from his position as president of the Spanish Federation, which we kind of, you know, slowly saw coming, but it's taken three weeks to get to this point, And it's gone on f- very far too long. His mother was on a hunger strike. You saw lawsuits getting thrown out. Like it was just nuts. I will say the, f- the, the weirdest slash most bizarre part of this was UEFA came out with a statement after this interview was released, thanking Luis Rubiales for uh resigning or thanking him for for something and that was just cherry on freaking top because that made no sense to me at all um digression though i just want to like put this all into context for a a second now that luis rubiales is gone first and foremost no one really knows what will happen right now with the presidential elections so the way that it will likely work is there will either be an interim president or there will be a full cycle of elections that are voted on by the municipalities in Spain. But the reason why I want to give context to this is just how insane the last three weeks have been. Like, we've had our fair share of U.S. men's national team scandals, right? This is so far beyond that. And... Chump change. To get... <laughs> chump... Oh, yeah, yeah, it's not even... Like, our shit has been chump change compared to this. Yeah, this is actually nuts. So to put into context, the Spanish women's team won the World Cup. They won soccer's most coveted prize. And the moment that that final whistle went, and the moment that Rubiales himself was probably in the most powerful position he has been in as president of the Spanish Federation, because he could turn around in that moment that the Spanish uh, women's team won and say, look, I stood behind Jorge Vildo when, you know, the women's players were 
like you know not didn't even want to play for the team we went on and had such a talented team we still won the world cup and everything and he could have celebrated like a political victory for him instead his real colors showed through and when it should have been their shining moment at the moment that he was also politically strongest you kind of saw the real colors of rubiales you saw the real colors of the spanish federation and really their lack of giving a shit for the real important things in life and that was a really really sad reality like when you think about all this now in the context of what we've seen over the last couple weeks i think a big reason too and i just wanted to harp on this that he was probably you know feeling a little bit more pressure recently is because of spain's world cup bid that they're going through i think with morocco yeah um that bid is really interesting because at this point Rubiales has kind of been working up to this point, like to for for this twenty thirty bid, because the Spanish men's team won the Nations League, the women's have won the World Cup now, they have the Olympics next year, and by the way, I believe Friday is the the time for I think selection for the the, the players to play in the twenty twenty four Olympics, and so right now. The Spanish women's team don't actually have any players that are willing to play. <laughs> like so, if if it got to a point where that was happening, Spanish women's team didn't want to play. Like all those sort of things, I think that that would have such a detrimental aspect on Spain's bid for the World Cup that he was probably feeling pressure and was just like, "All right, well, I guess I have to do this because, like, at this point, I don't necessarily think there's a world where I can stay, and everything that I've been working towards also stays intact." So just to give you some context, uh, Rubial is gone. Probably presidential elections coming soon. TBD on whether they're interim or not. And uh, yeah, I will say this. There is one name that has been thrown out as a potential person to run for president of the Spanish Federation. Um, Rian, that name, Mateo Lajos. (laughs) (laughs) I... uh, I actually don't think I could watch Spanish football. Just for the record, so I think I think I actually would just fully. Oh just my god, not. they're straight, they're really scraping at the barrel. No. With, like, they really, is somehow the yeah. least, or potentially he might be the least controversial, least misogynistic <laughs> person like that they could throw out there. And, and, you know, this is not to say that I know anything about whether he's you know, has any mm-hmm. allegations in the past, but if he's like. If he's like squeaky clean in that in that sense, then wow, it's really a low bar. <laughs> oh yeah, very low. Um, but anyway, that's all about Rubiales. Is there anything else that you want to talk about in in Spain too? Oh yes, of course. Um, we've got to talk about what is probably going to go down as like the best signing of the summer, at least. Um, even even really? even with the yeah, you know, I'm. I'm like throw like, sure we can always throw in like the actual transfer fee and stuff and and even with that included like in terms of a player that absolutely at his age and his ability to adapt to living in a new living in a new country playing for a new team and a team like pretty full of like experienced players and look like the best player and be like the talisman almost for the first 
few games of the season and score the most important goals for the team as well. Right? I'm talking about Jude Bellingham here, of course. It, I, I, I'm just so impressed. I don't want to say surprised. Impressed by how well he is just slotted into that team. And I think a lot of that's a good uh, um, got to applaud Carlo Ancelotti as well too because they've changed the, the shape of the team, right? No um, Benzema, so now it's basically Rodrigo and Vinicius. It's basically like a four-four-two diamond, right? And then Vinicius and Rodrigo playing up top, and Jude Bellingham is like I don't even know how to describe like a like a third striker <laughs> pretty much, he right? Is, he is, right? He, he's playing the Valverde role of two years ago, mm. effectively. That's how I would put it. Um, it's interesting. Signing in the summer, I hadn't really thought about it that way. I think we're a little early in, in terms of impact. Saying, but Maybe I, like, you know, just impact. Yeah. I'm not saying, I'm not talking anything at all about the transfer fee. I'm not saying, uh, I'm not saying bargain of the summer. That's for sure. <laughs> no, 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 no. That, that, <laughs> right? no. Bargain for one of the most expensive <laughs> English players of all time. No, yeah, no. yeah. Uh, but but his, his, his transfer fees, when you think about the impact and, and potent, the potential of where it could go, Oh, yeah. You're gonna feel pretty justified. You're gonna feel pretty comfortable having paid that probably in like a year <laughs> or even six yeah. months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here's so, like Rian said, we're obviously talking about Jude Bellingham, but the impact that he's had has been direct goal scoring contributions. Right, he has four goals in four games, and that is an insane output for a player that is not an attacker. That's an insane output for anybody. Like we're talking about. In the first four games, Cristiano Ronaldo put up those numbers. Not, not, not like a midfielder from Birmingham, right? With all due respect. <laughs> yeah. But I think I just want to say two things on Jude Bellingham that I think are really helping him shine through in a congested Real Madrid high you know pressure environment. First and foremost is his character, and I use this very loosely because I very much believe that he is destined to become captain of the England uh, national team. I very much think he's fit for that because in his time at Dortmund, you saw just how much of kind of a no BS type of player he was. Like he's a, he was the type of player that was bossing around Emmerich Chan. Like, yeah. right. Like, yeah, I, I think there's a clip of that somewhere, but like point being, he doesn't care how old you are. He doesn't care how young you are. I think he's very much of the mindset of like, we're all here to do the same job, which is win this game. And you either are supporting in that or you're not. And he takes, I think he takes that very seriously. And that shows in the way that he plays, not from the goals, but from the way he plays and the positions he gets into, from the work that he does outside of having the ball. All of that is really, really, really helpful in a Real Madrid context. Because when you have that extra bit of kind of character and you play like basically there's a chip on your shoulder all of the, all the time, I mean, you're going to win over Madrid fans pretty quickly. So that's number one. Number two is how Bellingham fits into this Real Madrid team. You mentioned that Carlo Ancelotti has changed formations, right? He mentioned he was going to do that in preseason. He didn't preseason. We saw how it went, right? It was iffy. But during the season, it's gone pretty well. And I think a large part of that is because it's something Ancelotti talked about, I think, in a press conference before the international break. And he talked about how he was showing and with along with the coaching staff showing Bellingham tapes of his time at, at Dortmund and comparing the position he wanted him to play in this 4-4-2 versus how he played at Dortmund. And in fact, a lot of those spaces are pretty similar 
in the role that he has at Real Madrid, which makes me believe that I don't know if this is public or not. I, I, I'm just speculating, but I really do think that they view Bellingham as the linchpin of this team going forward for the next several years. I actually don't think it's necessarily just Vinicius or Rodrigo, right? I think it's actually going to be more so focused on Bellingham. And those type of changes, I, I would say, are evidence of that. So, I'm, look, I'm really happy for him. It's always nice to see uh, a young, really talented player do really well. Do I wish it was for Real Madrid? No, but <laughs> I can't control that. And honestly, the older I've gotten, the less I've started to care about allegiances uh, because they just take a toll on my health and my body. <laughs> These 22 players are never going to know who I am, so what do I care? It doesn't, it, yeah, and it doesn't hit as hard as you know the, the Ronaldo, Messi era, yeah. right? <laughs> and, and that was nuts. I mean, and of course, you throw in like the... Um, the Meridio era, yeah. like, like all of that. Yeah. <laughs> that, that all got, that all got too personal really. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, kind of going to what you said about like Bellingham's character and I'll just this before we move on to our last point of the, the pod here, but you said his character and it's almost like, first thing I thought it was like, you gotta be a bit of an asshole to be like a lead, like one of the top, players at i mean you have to be an asshole a, a bit of an asshole to even reach this level of, of sport mm-hmm. in general but you got to be like another level of asshole to be that guy at at real madrid right and he's and he's showing it like you know like yeah you know, saying this asshole lovingly because like <laughs> he's our asshole. yeah yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> but to, to like kind of boss people around to get angry at 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 guys like Emery Chan as you as you mentioned um I'm sure we'll see I'm sure we'll see at some point where he yells at like Luka Modric like right like I'm sure we'll see something like that at some point this season and um and it's it's you know some of it like his character his confidence in himself but like as you said like he's thought like we're here to win like like that's what matters most to him and that's and that's all that is right so it, it it doesn't it doesn't get Hopefully it's not, it doesn't, I don't think it gets personal at all, but it's just, that's the type of player he is. And that's the type of player that thrives at at Real Madrid. Amen to that. So with that, I guess I'll just close off uh, the point. I, I was, I was just going to touch on the uh, Spanish national team um, and their, what's it called? Their progress in European qualifiers, uh, Euro qualifiers, just because uh, they have scored a total I think in the last two games of 13 goals uh, against Georgia and Cyprus. But weirdly enough, they are, I believe they're, I think after today, like still six points behind Scotland in their Euro qualifiers. Yeah, Scotland's been great. Which is, yeah, Scotland have won every game that they've played. Yeah, yeah, no, which is good for them. Hysterical. They're they're about to qualify for their, qualify for another Euros, right? But um, yeah. But yeah, so it, it, strength of opponent. We gotta. We kind of have to disclaimer. Well, the only <laughs> like the old, that's the thing. Right? The only team that they've lost to is Scotland, and I think that was a surprise. And then you look at just them bodying <laughs> Georgia and Cyprus, yeah. uh, which yikes! And a goal uh, for Lamine Mall, of course, too, right? And a goal for Lamine Mall. Yes, goal. his first goal. Um, honestly, I I could do with less of the hype. That's my controversial opinion on this. Like, I don't want this to turn into an Ansu Fati type situation. I look, I I am genuinely of the opinion that Ansu Fati will actually return to his best, um, just as long as he gets surgery. But <laughs> Lamine Mal is 
Yeah, Laminia Mal is younger than Ansu Fati was when he came onto the scene. Like, what were we doing at 16, Rian? Like, I don't remember. It was I was driving to school, maybe. Could I even drive? No, no, I was. I definitely wasn't driving at that point. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So, point being, like, he's a child. Give him time. In five years, he'll be able to drink in the United States. Five years. (laughs) So, give it time. That's all. Yeah, and you know, Spain and Barcelona have never been known to overwork their young players so he'll be fine i actually i the pedri injury (laughs) record is really starting to irritate me and i hate that your theory around him and like bellingham for example like all those type of players burning out by like 27 could be really real um yeah i just don't like that that's all that i maybe maybe if we just create enough of those players out of La Masia and there's just a ton of them. Oh yeah. 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 Enough. Yes. Of course. Of course. Like a lottery of sorts. <laughs> well, what is basically guys, one of these pairs of knees are going to be able to make it. <laughs> In fact, none of them are. That's, that's a surprise, but Oh my God. Anyway, well with that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you as always for listening. We apologize for any audio weird cutting out stuff that happens just as a product of our technical deficiencies but we'll be back what next week i guess sometime next week talking about the return of club football over the weekend a very interesting weekend in spain a little bit interesting in england i'd say just based on the matchups um but we'll talk to you guys all next week thanks guys